Yesterday, we had the interesting news that President of Harvard, Claudine Gay, resigned. Or, as the conservative activist Christopher Rufo, who was behind the campaign to get her out, he posted on X, formerly Twitter, scalped, <coughs> as the AP puts it, as if gay was a trophy of violence, invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonists who sought to eradicate Native Americans and also used by some tribes against their enemies. But putting aside all the politics, the, the campaign against her was largely because of her failure, <coughs> of her uh, perceived failure to do anything about anti-Semitism at Harvard and for her and for her equivocation in the congressional hearing when she was asked about, about uh, calls for genocide of the Jews. But more directly, the, she was forced to resign because of mounting accusations of plagiarism in her various academic writings. The conservatives were digging up all kinds of cases where she lifted sentences, whole, whole paragraphs almost, I think, from other scholars without quoting and without... Uh, without citation, without proper citation, without quote marks, without indicating that she was borrowing language from earlier scholars. There was a fair amount of controversy about whether this was a firing offense. Apparently, other academics at Harvard and elsewhere <coughs> largely largely uh, supported her and said, this is harmless, this is trivial, it's common in, in these types of fields. Others have said, no, this, this, this is outrageous, it's a double standard, if she'd be an undergraduate, she'd be suspended. One of the kids on Harvard's uh, Honor Commission said that we suspend undergrads for things like this. So, you know, I'm not an academic. I don't work in this world. I, I, I don't know enough about, I don't really know enough about uh, the question of whether what she did is really egregious enough to be fired or not. What I want to talk about tonight is some, I want to discuss some halachic and other Jewish perspectives on plagiarism. A little more than a year ago, we discussed two classic chuvas on the topic, in the Tshuva's Machnechayim and the Tshuva's Maram Shik, about a case of a, a sofer who had corresponded with various Gidole Torah and then took their correspondence and published it in a, in a book form as his own. They discussed the Torah's perspective on plagiarism. Tonight I want to consider several other letters and Tshuva's on the topic of plagiarism. By way of introduction, I just want to clarify, as we always do, that Plagiarism is very different from the much more commonly discussed question of copyright infringement, intellectual property, and so on. What, what most of the chuvas about intellectual property or the equivalent in, in the Torah deal with is the use of someone else's material without permission. The key issue is without permission. Attribution is not relevant. The issue is permission. If I, if I take a sefer written by somebody else, a song written by somebody else, uh, a work of art painted by somebody else, and I copy it, and I sell it, even if I give full attribution, I say, this is my copy of someone's work. This is the safer written by so-and-so. I'm selling copies of it. It's his work. I, all I'm doing is reprinting and selling it. I'm, I'm, there's no plagiarism. I'm, I'm giving full attribution. I'm being explicit and clear that it's someone else's work. But the problem is, it's not my work. <clears throat> it's, I, I have no right to it, potentially, and I'm, not, and I'm, I'm profiting and using and dis- disseminating it, performing it, whatever I'm doing, without permission. That, that's the more common issue of intellectual property that most of the halakhic literature is about, just as in law, intellectual property, what, what, one, one branch of the three areas of intellectual property in the U.S. is copyright. The, the use of someone else's, in, in, the words of someone else's creative work to, uh, without permission. 
Plagiarism is very different. You can often be guilty of both plagiarism and copyright, but plagiarism is very different. In plagiarism, the issue is not permission, the lack of permission. The issue is the lack of attribution. Again, intellectual property violations, copyright violations, you can do with attribution, without permission. If I, if I publish your safer, I can give you full attribution. That's a copyright violation. And that's what Post can talk about, the halakhic equivalent. Plagiarism fundamentally means no attribution, with or without permission, or without attribution. Sometimes you have permission. When, when, when students go and they buy term papers from these services that provide kids with term papers, they have full permission. The person, they, they paid somebody 100 bucks for a paper. The person is very happy to let them use the paper. The, they have full permission, but that's plagiarism because they're not attributing it to the other person. If they would, they wouldn't get very far if they said the whole paper is copied from somebody else. Or, or in the case of President Gay, if you, if you lift individual sentences and you don't properly cite them and quote them, the issue is not necessarily that you're violating someone else's rights. Sometimes you are, but sometimes, sometimes the person might be very happy to let you borrow from him. He doesn't, he doesn't mind. He thinks it's not a big deal. He may not mind, but the issue, with, the issue in plagiarism is that, you, is that you're, not, you're not doing proper attribution. And there are, there are potentially two issues, two basic moral, ethical issues involved in plagiarism. One of them is that by not attributing, you're perpetrating a fraud on the public. You're taking credit for work that you didn't produce. You're, you're giving the impression this is your work. You're, you're taking credit and authorship and pride in work that's not yours. The other issue, which again will depend on whether you have permission, the other issue is that you may be depriving the other person of credit for his work. Again, if he doesn't mind, he doesn't mind. But sometimes if you take credit for someone else's work, he deserves the credit, even if you're not profiting financially and so on. This is where it kind of overlaps a little with copyright, with, with intellectual property. If you don't credit him, copyright is usually about the economic violation, the violation of his economic rights. Plagiarism, both in terms of the fraud against the public and in terms of not properly crediting the other person, you're, you're not properly crediting him. It's more about attribution and credit, less of, a, less of a legal and rights issue, a financial issue, more of an issue about assigning proper credit. That's why it's a particular issue in academia where the issue is not always about the, the, the right to the work, the issue is about who should be properly credited. Careers are, are made and broken by who did what, who's first author on a paper, who, who, who invented this, who, uh, who wrote, who, who came up with this idea. That, that, that's the lifeblood of academia. And Lahavdil, we're going to discuss tonight a number of cases in Torah. The issue, again, was not, about, was not really about a copyright issue. It was not a financial issue of publishing someone's work without permission. It was more about attribution. As we'll see, the cases we're going to discuss tonight, the person might be very happy to have you quote his work as long as you properly credit it. He doesn't mind that you're reproducing and disseminating his work as long as he gets the credit. If you're not crediting him, that's a problem, both in terms of the fact that it's not fair to him to deprive him of the credit he deserves, or even if he doesn't mind, it's, a, it's, it's not fair to the public because you're, 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 imply, you're implying or, or stating to the public that you are the one who came up with, such, with such certain ideas, certain words, certain, certain, product, intellectual, and certain intellectual formulations, and really it's not you, that's plagiarism. So we're going to discuss several cases and several letters and chuvos discussing plagiarism tonight. First, again, this is, this, is much, this is discussed much less thoroughly and much less extensively than, than copyright, the equivalent of copyright, the, the economic issues involving controlling and profiting from your work. The issue here is attribution, but as we'll see, there, there are a number of interesting letters and chuvas and halakhic discussions on, the, on this question of plagiarism. The, the one I want to discuss first is perhaps, to me, in a certain sense, the most interesting case 
of plagiarism or alleged plagiarism in the history of Torah. And that is a very interesting quarrel between between two people, two people, three people, depends how you count it, in the 500 years ago. The, the towering figures of Jewish thought, Rabbi Yitzhak Abarbanel, Don Isaac Abarbanel, the great, the great auth, prolific author, commentary on Tanakh, the great leader of the Jewish community, an Askan we would call him today, he was a statesman, a very colorful and impressive resume, he was an inner circle of a number of European crowned heads, a great, uh, a great advocate for his people, and he was, he wrote, of course, the Barbanel, still popular today, hundreds of years later, commentary on Chamish Chum Torah, as well as much of Nevi'im and Ksuvim. He was in Spain, he lived in Spain in the 15th century, and he left Spain during the, the expulsion of 1492. Now, Barbanel had a contemporary, a slightly older contemporary, not quite as well known, but also, also one, of the great, uh, one of the great rabbinic thinkers of, of that time and place, and that was Rabbi Yitzchak Arama. The Rabbi Yitzchak Arama was slightly older. Rabbi Yitzchak Arama lived between, Rabbi Yitzchak Arama lived between 1420 and 1494, died two years after the expulsion from Spain. The Abarbanel lived from 1437. He was born 13 years later. He died in 1509, so he died 15 years. He was about 15 years older, born, born and died about 15 years older, uh, 15 years after his contemporary, Yitzchak Arama. So Yitzchak Arama also wrote a famous and beloved Pirush al He wrote, not right as extensively, he wrote just on Chamish Chum Torah, plus, plus the Megillus, or plus the, some of the Megillus, some are by his son, some are by him, I, I, forget, I keep forgetting who wrote what. He was, also a, uh, he was also a great biblical commentator of that period. He also had to leave Spain in 1492. Both these great Chachamim ended up in Naples, in Italy, and they met, and apparently they talked, and they discussed Torah together. And then, again, Akeda died a couple of years after that, in 1494. Arbonnell lived another 15 years or so. After, the, after Rabbi Yitzchak Arama, the author of the Akedah Yitzchak, passed away, when his works were published, his, Rabbi Yitzchak Arama had a son named Rabbi Meir Arama. Rameir Arama was very upset. He accused the Abarbanel of plagiarizing Torah from his father. These two perushim are very similar in some ways. They're written, you know, they're, they're written in a certain time and a certain place, and they share certain similarities. In particular, they, they both have a number of unique and interesting approaches to various sections of the Torah, various passages in the Torah, narrative passages, and some of them are strikingly similar, and it's clear that they, they had a common source. And it's pretty clear, due to the, nobody really denies this, it's pretty clear that uh, Barbanel got these ideas from his slightly older contemporary, okay, the, the, the Yitzhak Arama. Rameir Arama was, was very upset about this. He accused the Barbanel of plagiarism. We'll read briefly from his letter. The letter was discovered by academics, published about 150 years ago. It's, it's, it's kind of existed in various fragmented and inaccurate copies. But the, letter is, the letter is not easy to decipher. It's written in a very, uh, written in a very ornate style of Melitza, of kind of rabbinic poetry, full of allusions and puns and, and kind of uh, rabbinic Hebrew flourishes. Not that easy to decipher the letter, but we'll read and at least explain briefly the contents of the letter. So the, the person who copied the letter, who was a prominent rub at that time, 
Rabbi Tam Ibn Yachia, prominent Svardik Gaon of the 16th century. He writes that this letter, the, he, he copied this letter into his copy of the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak, and he writes that, that, the, that Rameir Arama, the son of the author, wrote this little essay because he was upset that he found some of the Torah of his father in the published writings of Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel. Genuvim Hemito, they've been stolen by the Barbanel. And he wrote the following little essay. The essay is written in a kind of uh, a Baroque style. The, the essay is written from the perspective of the Sefer itself. The Sefer is complaining that it's been mistreated by having people steal its ideas. But this is how he wrote the Sefer. He wrote that the Sefer is complaining bitterly about its treatment by the Barbanel. He says, Shalev Havis Vibesi, I was content and happy. I, we had Torah, and we had, uh, everything was good. We had uh, the serving Hashem, and everything was wonderful. We had Chachma, and we had, uh, everything, everything, was, uh, everything was running smoothly, and, uh, we, and, 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 and we, did, we did great things, and we learned Torah, and everything was fine. Now, he says, I have a complaint. The Sefer says, I call out to you, the Kohanim. I call out in a loud voice, Kechola. Voice like someone who is suffering illness, zam v'tzara v'evra v'omra du. I announce, I complain. Kimakas parashim hukesi base ma'avai. I've been struck terrible blows that by 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 people who were in my home. Ochle lachmi umeimai tamri upishti shamni v'shikuye. People who benefited from me, who were acquaintances, who I trusted. I've been uh, I've been struck uh, terrible blows by my by my opponents. What happened? So the Sefer tells the story. When, uh, again, everything here is references to Psukim and Tanakh. You can recognize some of them. Others you have to use the footnotes for. But uh, I, I didn't reproduce all the footnotes. But when, when Akash Baruch Hu made me wander from my father's home, in the year 1492, in the Spanish expulsion, when, when a terrible, terrible time for the Jews, when Jewish lives were being poured out like water in foreign lands, Bamod Karsula Malhare Ararat, when they stumbled and fell on mountains of Ararat, the Yehuda. And anyway, we ended up, he says, Be'er Napoli. We ended up in the city of Naples. We ended up, the Sefer says, I, my author, we ended up in the in the city of Naples. At, at 1490, they had both lived in Spain, both both Rubitzak Arama and Rubitzak Abarbanel had lived and lived and flourished in Spain. Until the expulsion, expulsion, they both left and ended up in Naples. So the Sefer says, we ended up in Naples. Vani, Shkula, Vigalmuda, Gola, Vesura. I was not doing well. I was bereft and orphaned and wandering and uh, I had no place to go. Mikrakara, a great thing happened. Kinachani, Kinachanu Elokim, Beis Ish. Hashem led us to the home of a certain man, Bal Srara. A man of nobility. This was the Barbanel, who was rich, who was who was um, the political elites. He, he 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 worked for the king of Naples at the time. He went from being a close confidant to the king of Spain to being apparently a close uh, confidant to the king of Naples. He was uh, a successful man. Balsrara Vitora, Himarbe Amishra, Niskadla Lahara Magvoim Kaharekel, in Malachim Vyotzi Aret, someone who hobnobbed with kings and the councillors of the land. Shmo Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, Kava Itim Litarasi. He studied my Torah, he says, the, the Torah of the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak. 
boy like Kedarki, Mishalokin Darki, we were together in all ways. He ate my wine and my bread. He ate, he was satisfied, he was fattened with my, with, with, with my, my, my nutrition. So, we were together in Naples. The Barbanel apparently uh, hosted him, took him into his home, learned his Torah. They, they were together in Naples, the, the author of the Kedas Yitzchak, the Sefer, the author, and, and Rabbi Yitzchak of Barbanel, who had not yet published his works. In those, in those, uh, heady, in those, uh, in those, uh, in, that, in that time, he says, Gova libo b'darche Hashem, the Abarbanel had an ambitious idea in the service of HaKosh Baruch Hu, Livnos lo batim v'alios, meruvachem imivchar v'nyani, decided he would build himself great mansions, great literary, great scholarly productions, mimivchar v'nyani, out of my, the choicest of my, of my dwelling, of my, of my Torah, in other words. Ulahakrif karbanos va'olos mechim me'atzon tzoni. And he brought all kinds of karbanos to Hashem from my animals, me'atzon tzoni, that the sheep were my sheep. Also, svarim v'chiber chiburim lashmiya bachutz. He made svarim and he, and he, and he, and he authored works to, to disseminate his Torah to the public. Berachovus uvashvakim, b'shiva arakim, karam chadashim, mesukim, amukim dakim. He, he told everyone that these were his chedushim, these were new ideas that he had, wonderful new innovations in Torah. But the truth is, really, these are all Torah. This is my Torah. This is Torah that, uh, that Rabbi Sikharama had already produced. From senior, from earlier Chachamim, that were copied over from earlier Chachamim. You can see the Torah. It's here in the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak. Anyone who sees, who compares the Torah in the Barbanel, the Torah in the Akedas Yitzchak, they're my Torah, they come from my Sefer, the Akedas says, the Sefer says, the author says, I produced this Torah, I raised these children around my table. This, the Barbanel, he came into my tent, the Holy Dimenikid Mufti Yukni. And he produced offspring, versions of, of the Chedushim, and he took them for himself. He, he came into my, my, my camp, my area. He found all kinds of good things. He adorned himself using my jewelry, my diamonds, the rings in my ears. And the gold ornament on my neck, all my beautiful things, all my all my Torah he took for himself. He uh, he uh, he he had uh, he had yearning for my uh, the image of my of myself, my Torah. He recreated it in his in his own version. Ben Oni says the 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 sefer goes on. Ramera Rama goes on. He says. He says, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Kel Elyon, Asher lo groni. He says that the, Baruch Hashem, he says, Hashem answered his prayers. This is the Sefer Kedis Yitzchak speaking again, figuratively, that, um, that Hashem had compassion on him, him, her, it. And before, he says, enough time had passed that these, that these ideas would now be known and identified with the Barbanel. He realized the problem. Basi Ligani, Valbase Maloni, Vikoni, Vikini, Ishtabo Hakel, Haravas Rivi, Adonis Dini, Hashem championed his cause. 
and uh, and therefore the problem was discovered before the Barbanel became, they became entrenched as the Torah of the Barbanel. So he has the chance to rectify this problem, to correct the record that nobody should think the, this Torah is really the Barbanel. He explains if the Barbanel in places would say that Ela Divri Arab, if he would, this is the key point. The problem was not copyright. The problem was that he objected to the, he did not object to the Barbanel republishing his work. Had he said Ela Divri Harav, had he said this Torah is from Rabbi Vanilo Basi I'm just coming to embellish it, to add, to, to, you know, to, to, to develop it further, he says, that would be fine. As long as he attributed the Torah properly to me, I don't mind if he uses it and reworks it and republishes it. That's all fine. As long as he would have done so with proper attribution, that would be fine. The issue here is plagiarism. It's not a copyright violation. He wasn't objecting to the reuse of his Torah. He was objecting to the failure to attribute it to him. Oz, anal of Shamasham, there would be nothing wrong. The Chadlu, Evos, Rivos, and Marivos, there'll be no complaints and quarrels and problems. Adarabba, I'd be very happy, he says. Tavol of Bracha. If he wanted to republish my Torah, bring it to a wider audience and properly attribute it to me, that would be great. Then, on the contrary, he's giving a bigger audience to my Torah, that would be fine. However, the problem is he failed to attribute it. In virtually all places that he brings Torah of the Akedah, he does not attribute it. He just says it, sometimes I think he says Chacham, uh, he, uh, a certain Chacham said, sometimes he just brings the Pshat anonymously without any attribution. He, he fails routinely to credit the Akedah with this, and that's what he is unhappy about. The last couple of paragraphs, he says... He says, God knows, God knows, and, and Israel knows as well, he says. He, he gives a very interesting reason for why he's so upset and why he's making this, uh, this declaration. He says he's not just upset that he's not getting credit. That itself, he claims, would not bother him so much. I'm not, I'm not coming, he says, I'm not jealous of his glory, he says, uh, he says he, he, he's, he's a great and glorious figure. I'm not out to cut him down to size. I, I, I have no problem with his being uh, honored and, and revered for his Torah. It doesn't bother me, he says. I'm not even out for my own honor. When, when, when I'm complaining about the attribution, he says, it's not that I need more covered. It's not that I want to get more glory by people saying, oh, Rizek Arama said such wonderful Torah. The honor of my the, the honor of my of my fa- of my father's family, the honor of our family is safe, he says. That that I'm not out, he says, to 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 try to uh, to try to grab more glory for my family. Yaluba, Sharamasa, people know, and people in our family is respected. Rock, he says, what am I so worried about? I'm, I'm doing this defensively, he says. Lahotzi of Dibas Rabbim. I'm worried that in the future people will think I plagiarized him. People will think that Rizik Harama plagiarized the Barbanel, which couldn't actually have happened chronologically because the Akedah was published first. However, he says, he says, Dibas Rabbim Bedoros Habayim, future generations. Asherenam Bekiim, Uhemushmaseim of Akodim, they're not such keen bibliographers, they don't have a great sense of who came first and exactly who was influenced by whom. They're not gonna, we were both roughly the same time. People are not going to realize that, my, that, that, that the Sefer Akedah Yitzchak came first. People are going to say, that the, they're going to think that the Barbanel was better known and more popular, people are going to say, oh, that's the Barbanel's idea, Akedah must have taken it from him. People don't realize who's first, who's later. They're going to think the later one, the Barbanel, was the first one, the earlier one. To add insult to injury, they're going to think that the Akedah plagiarized from the Barbanel. Instead of being the injured party, 
They're going to think he was the, the injurer, the, he was the guilty party. And therefore he says, that's why I'm so upset, that's why I have to make this public announcement, I want it to be very clear for future generations. We were first, the, the Aramas had this Torah first, the Kedis Yitzchak was the first one, Abarbanel copied from him, and therefore he says, I want, everyone to, uh, I want everyone to understand the true relationship between these two works, by, by telling the story again, he's justifying why he's taking this action, why he has to make waves and, and, um, and say negative things about the Barbanel. No, there's, there's great benefit to this, he says. Given that, the famous statement of Chazal, the Chazal tell us if someone attributes things properly, he brings redemption to the world. Chazal learned this from Mordechai and Esther. It says when, 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 when Mordechai heard about the plot to, to assassinate Achashverosh, he told Esther, and Esther told it to Achashverosh b'shem Mordechai, and that brought the Gula, because that brought the elevation of Mordechai, which enabled him to foil Haman's plot, and so on. So the Chazal say, anyone who attributes statements properly may be Gula la'olam, and therefore he says, it's very important to set the record straight, not because I'm jealous of the Barbanel, not because I want to cut him down to size, not because I'm greedy for more coverage for my family, but primarily, he says, because I want to make sure people don't think that we stole it from him. And also, in general, so it's important, he feels, to set the record straight. Finally, the last paragraph, he says, he says, I want you to promise, I want to make you, I want, to, I want you to commit yourself, he says, that, that the reader, anyone who reads this, he says, in Tatiku, he published this originally separately as a standalone letter, apparently, but he said, anyone who reads this in Tatiku Osi, Levnechem, Levnechem, Ladoros, I want this letter to be disseminated. He wasn't publishing it as a standalone work, but he, he encouraged everyone, he demanded of everyone who read this letter to pass it along, to spread it, and, uh, and write it clearly, and that uh, to everyone should know, everyone should know the truth of what happened here, he says, and... Uh, and uh, may, may Hashem reward everyone who does this, and so on. This is written by Rameir Arama. And again, the note to the person who wrote this letter, into, he copied this letter into his copy of the Akedah, was he got the Ani Tami ben Yachia. Tami ben Yachia was a, was a great uh, Gadol B'Torah of that time. He saw this letter that the, that the son of the author had written, He's copying it over, he's listening, he's heeding the, he's heeding the call of Rameir Arama, and he's publicizing this letter. So, this basic accusation was rattled around for hundreds of years, that Dava Brunel had unfairly copied stuff from, the, from Rameir Arama. Dif- different suggestions were made to justify Dava Brunel. Some said, some, some suggested that he had initially written down copies of these ideas for his own personal use. Eventually, he had lost track of what was his own, and what was uh, what was uh, what was other people's, and he just he lost track of the of the attributions. Some say that editors or other people uh, changed the attributions to give more credit to the Barbanel. Partisans and loyalists wanted to give him more credit, but the, you know, Mark Shapiro says the the Iker is, which I think is probably true. The Iker is to understand that the standards of plagiarism back then were simply different from the standards of plagiarism today. Today, in academia in particular, in various contexts, we have very strict rules for plagiarism. We have handbooks and guidebooks and rules and committees and so on, and precedents, what's acceptable, what's not. Back then, 
all the apparatus of scholarship was less rigid, was still, the, the, the standards were less uniform. And, and, in, and in, in this particular area, it was much more acceptable to simply quote other people without uh, attributing. You, you learn Gemara, you read the Tosfus and the Rishonim, they're constantly quoting each other, sometimes by name and sometimes not. You, you constantly see ideas that uh, you can trace through earlier Rishonim, later Rishonim. Often they quote the names, often they don't. Sometimes they say Chacham Echad, sometimes they say Yesh Omrim, sometimes they don't say anything. So in those days, uh, the rules of attribution, all the footnotes you see in the, in the Rashbas today are obviously all modern footnotes. Rashbas didn't write footnotes, I mean, he wrote some attributions, but in general, the, the, what, was, what was acceptable and what's not, you can't necessarily judge, uh, hold, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, we're not getting involved in you know, relative standards of morality, but the point is, these are kind of conventions and expectations of, of what to do in terms of attribution, and the rules may have simply been different back then. It's not a completely satisfactory answer. Ramea Arama was clearly outraged by this, and, and, and this level of wholesale uh, copying without attribution is excessive. He could have at least said somewhere that uh, I've been influenced, many ideas in the Sefer come from Yitzhak Arama. He quotes his name, I think, once or twice, but, but, but he kind of doesn't give him a major, major credit as a major influence. So it's not a wholly satisfactory answer. The bottom line is, I haven't really seen any, any full, fully satisfactory, wholly persuasive answer for why Abarbanel did this. It's probably somewhat based on the idea that the standards were different, but again, not a, not a, totally, uh, not a totally satisfying answer. I've never really seen anyone cha- challenge the fact that the, 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 these pshatim are unique and are so individual and unprecedented that, it, that the odds that they came up with these pshatim, even though the words aren't exactly the same, the ideas are so strikingly similar and fresh the odds that they were independent uh, is, uh, is, 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 is very, very improbable. So, you know, how to explain it, how to justify it, I don't know. Barbernell, as far as I know, I think this accusation came out probably after he had passed away, and in general, I don't think he ever addressed this, uh, this accusation. So I don't know. Again, the answer is probably that this was, he considered this uh, normal and appropriate. But in any event, this is one fascinating plagiarism controversy that appeared, that appeared, that the primary source is this letter, not exactly a tshuva, but not a tshuva, but, but this letter written by Romeo Rama, in which he uh, pours his heart out about uh, his, uh, his disappointment in, in what he feels that Barbanel did to his father. Next thing I want to discuss, moving a few centuries later, is an interesting comment in the tshuva's Machnechayim. Machnechaim was one of the two figures we quoted a year ago, dealing with the question of the, the sofer who plagiarized. We're going to discuss now another tshuva of the Machnechaim. This tshuva is, it's not exactly a tshuva. It's published in his tshuvas, but it's really just a little note. I, incidentally, by the way, before we move on, people have pointed out that Barbanel himself discusses the notion of plagiarism in different places, and he himself indicates that he had a much uh, looser standard than we do. He writes in his commentary to Pirkei he writes, that even though authors of Sparum, he says, sometimes take things from each other, there's nothing wrong with that, there's no, nothing disgraceful about that, he says, there's nothing that's you know, worthy of dismissal if they do that. Everything comes from Hashem, he says, and it's fine, it's, 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 all, it's all Hashem's Torah, not so important who gets the credit for it. So he himself kind of indicates that he didn't think, uh, he didn't think it was so important to maintain proper attribution. Okay, so the Machne Machnechaim was a was a great uh, was a great was what the, the Machnechaim was, was a great Hungarian post mid mid nineteenth century Rav Chaim Sofer. 
He was, I believe he was from a different sofer than the Chassim Sofer's family, but he was, uh, was also a distinguished rabbinic family. So he, at the end of one volume of his tshuvas, he has a little note. It's, it, it's not an actual tshuva, but it's a little note he published at the end of one chalik of his tshuvas. He writes, Nistapakti. I have a question, he says. I'm not sure about this. He says, Talmud Chacham, he, he, basically what he wants to know is, let's say, let's say you hear something from a secondary source. A certain Talmud Chacham or a certain Sefer tells you something from a primary source. You read an Akron, and the Akron quotes a Rishon. You read uh, some kind of anthology, some kind of uh, survey work, and, and the work quotes primary sources. And those primary sources are interesting to you. And you later write an essay in which you discuss those primary sources. You have questions about them, you develop them, you analyze them. Do you have to write that, that, that you saw the primary sources in a secondary source? Do you have to credit, this is a question that modern scholars deal with as well, how important is it to quote the secondary literature, as they call it? If, if, if you're going to be dealing with ideas in the primary literature, but your access to those ideas and your discovery of those ideas came about via secondary literature, how important is it to quote the secondary literature? So the Machne Chaim writes, Rav Chaim Sofer writes, Mr. Pachti, Talmud Chacham Shashama Mechaveiro, Eze Svaro, Eze Chakiro, Eze Din, Chadash. One Talmud Chacham heard from another, a Svara, a Chakira, a question, a Din, a new Din. It came from a primary source, not from the Chacham you heard it from. And then later he says, You then had developed something further, you had a comment, a question, an analysis of the earlier idea. Osa Chakira, Osa Din, that you heard from the earlier Talmud Chacham, Itzarech Lahaskir Shem Osa Talmud Chacham. You have to mention the secondary source from which you learned of the primary source. Asher Odil, Osfaraz, Vachakiris, Arishon, Oadim Meaposkim, Oain Atzarech. You're certainly going to mention the primary source. You're going to say, the Rashba says this, and here is some analysis of the Rashba. You have to say, I first saw this Rashba quoted in the Bayerbi Kivagar, in, in, in a Tshuva. Do you have to say that or not? Um, you're not quoting any novel idea of that Talmud Chacham. He, he learned a Rashba. He, he wrote about a Rashba, and you discovered the Rashba from reading his work. Do you have to credit him for anything? He saw the Svar in the Rishonim. He gave you the citation. He pointed you in the direction of an interesting Rashba. I keep saying Rashba, obviously it's true for any, any primary source. You can, just say, you can just say that you can quote the primary source directly, maybe. You don't have to quote the secondary source. So he's not sure. He tries to bring a riot from a Tanchuma. He has an interest, intricate argument from a Tanchuma. It's not quite explicit. But he tries to argue that maybe you should. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can argue you really should quote the secondary source. He says, and he ends by saying, Al-Kain, he says, this would make it understandable, he says, a phenomenon that we see in the Gemara very often. The Gemara of Midrashim, very often you have, uh, you have, you have a, a chain of transmission. Sometimes the Gemara quotes things, Amar Rav, Rav said. Sometimes Amar Yehud, Amar Rav, two people in the chain. Sometimes the Gemara quotes five people. Amar so-and-so, Amar so-and-so, Amar so-and-so, Amar so-and-so, Amar so-and-so. We have a chain of transmission that can be five people long. Why bother? Why, why bother with that? Just if you have confidence that, that the transmission is accurate, to just bring the, bring the original source. Say, we heard in the name of Rav. Sometimes the Gemara does it. Sometimes it just says, Amri Mishmei the Rav. People say in the name of Rav. But very often the Gemara gives, uh, the, the Gemara, the Midrash gives an elaborate chain of transmission. It quotes all the intermediaries, what we would call, it quotes the secondary sources. Why? 
So we can argue it's because of reliability. That in those days, they didn't have the primary sources. It was all Torah Shabal Peh. In those days, recording the chain of transmission makes it much more accurate. If I tell you, if I say, Rosh Hashanah says this, how do you know he says this? Is it in a safer? How do you know? If I say, I heard it from my Rav, and my Rav said he heard it from so-and-so, and so-and-so was, uh, spoke to Rosh Hashanah directly, that's a, obviously a much more credible and much more authoritative chain. That, that would be the obvious reason why Chazal quoted long chains of transmission, because it gives more, it, it makes it more authoritative, it gives it more, uh, more reliability. But he gives his own reason. He says, the reason Chazal did this, he suggests, is because it's a question of attribution. Even secondary sources have to be mentioned. If we learned of a primary source via a secondary source or a tertiary source, or whatever the word for a quadrinary source or a quintenary source, or whatever the right words would be for that, if we hear of a, if we hear of a primary source through intermediaries, the, the rules of plagiarism, the rules of proper attribution of the Torah, say we should credit all the possible intermediary, intermediate sources. Even, even if you saw it yourself, even if you looked it up, not just if you're relying on the secondary source, if, if you're not even checking the primary source, even if you have access to the primary source, and you tracked it down yourself, after he gave you the citation, you looked it up yourself. You're no longer relying on his, on his, on his quotation. Nevertheless, he says, he suggests that you should indeed credit wherever your source was, whatever secondary and so on, whatever your source was, a tremendous chiddush, a tremendous uh, responsibility for a writer or a speaker. He's not sure, he says, this needs further clarification. Din Chadash, that's a great novel thing, he says. He confesses candidly, I know myself, I don't do this, he says. I'm not always Machbet to, to quote secondary sources, he writes. With great humility, he says, please, any Ben Torah, who can shed some light on this, uh, this pressing but uh, unclear question. Levarli Hadover, please help me clarify this. What is the halacha? What is the will of the Torah? Do I have to quote secondary sources or not? And he doesn't know. He's not sure. I've gone back and forth in my writing. I, you know, I, I typically do try to do try at least, uh, again, today, with, uh, with, where, especially with digital, paper is not expensive, ink is not expensive, it's a little longer, you know, it's, uh, unless you're writing for a real publication with a... Uh, with, a, with an actual word budget, you know, in general, throwing in a secondary source is not going to hurt anyone. But okay, you know, there are limits to everything. Again, I think in common sense, people would often distinguish between something which is widely known and, and, and quite famous, and you, you happen to discover it through one particular secondary source. I think most people would say, if anyone in the field, if anyone who does any research will eventually come across this, there's no real need to quote the secondary literature. But if it's an obscure source, if it's something that you might very well have missed, and most people don't know, and it happens to, be, it happens to have been discovered by some, and found in some secondary source, I think intuitively that's where we feel is perhaps more of a reason to quote the secondary source. Also, in practice, when we write halacha, very often we want to quote the secondary source because it may give more authority to the primary source. If we can say this is quoted by secondary sources, that means they, they took it seriously, they thought it was la halacha maybe, they didn't, think it was, they didn't reject it out of hand as being, uh, as being an outlier opinion. So in general, quoting secondary sources, if they're authoritative secondary sources, like people like the Knesset Gdola or the Pesche Tshuva, the major poskim who were Gdolim in their own right, even if they're also anthologies, that can sometimes give more authority to the, more normativity to the source. But in general, the Machne Chaim is not sure. He says perhaps as a matter of, uh, of, of the, the Torah's rules of scholarship, you should be quoting secondary sources. He knows he doesn't always do it. He's not sure what the right thing is, and he's not sure. This question was dealt with by another figure about a century ago, 
The Sefer Machni Yehuda by a Chacham. I'm not familiar with him, but uh, he also does not have a Wikipedia page. He's not famous enough to have his own page, so I don't know a whole lot about him. His name is Rabbi Yehuda Gershon Pikoltz. Fikoltz, Pikoltz. So he has a, a tshuva in his Sefer, Machne Yehuda, dealing with this question. He quotes the Machne Chaim, and then he says, he says, he says, I, my, my impression is the Machne Yehuda writes, Shum Gadol Vitzadik no Gedolim, no Tzadikim are meticulous, are, are particular about quoting secondary sources. If he himself eventually uh, saw the thing in the, in the Sefer to worry about the secondary source, Again, if you, if you didn't see the primary source, it certainly should quote the secondary source. That's just because very often the secondary sources are not accurate, or they, they, they summarize. If you, if you are relying on a secondary source, I think certainly you should quote it. But if you're not, if you looked it up in the primary source, he says he doesn't think Gedolim and Sadiqim are machpin on this. We have Machnechayim himself. Milanu Gadol may do so, Shalomachaber. He himself told us, Machnechayim. He, I'm, I'm sorry, he, he says, he's, he, right, he was a Talmud of the Chassam Sofer, not a relative, I think, but a Talmud of the Chassam Sofer, and he himself says that he doesn't always do this. So clearly the halacha is, he says, clearly the, the, the rules that don't require you to do this, and he's a long discussion about this, but he also is inclined to the view that even though you can make a prima facie case that you should, he argues that you don't have to, it's not the custom, you don't need to do this, he says, and therefore, again, we're not going to go through his whole tshuva, but he argues at length that you don't need to... Uh, that you don't need to, to do this. I want to close with one final tshuva on this topic. And this is a tshuva about uh, actual plagiarism again, g- going back to uh, plagiarism in which the author was bitter about it. This was a tshuva written by Shmuel Halevi Vosner, the, the Shevet Halevi, publishing his tshuvas. It was written to a, a Talmud Chacham and a Mohel named Ramosha Prutinsky. R- R- Prutinsky was a prominent Mohel, I'm not sure he, whether he was whether he was my mohel even or whether he was. My, I think my, I I I should I meant to ask my father about this whether I, I, I think we had some connection to Rabbi Puritinsky, but he was a he was a prominent mohel, and he wrote a he wrote a, a highly regarded work on Hilchas Mila called Sefer Abris. It's an anthology, it's several hundred pages of of Torah, you know, classic Torah from Gemara and Poskim, more recent Torah. On Hilchus Mila, all about Mila. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a erudite and highly regarded encyclopedia. Again, it's, it's not his own Torah, at least not primarily, I don't think. But it's a, it's a widely quoted and highly regarded modern anthology on the laws of Mila. So apparently, someone else published a work on Mila and plagiarized his work, copied and just uh, I don't know what percentage of the work was copied, how bad the plagiarizing was, but apparently, again. It wasn't, it wasn't his own chidushim necessarily, but they, but they, they copied his organization, the, the, all the work he had done to, to find all the sources, to assemble them, to organize them. That itself is creative work. That itself is scholarly work. And someone else came along and just uh, published some other work on Mila and plagiarized his work. And Rabbi Puritinsky was upset about it. He wrote to the Shevet Alevi, to Rav Osner, asking whether this was allowed according to Torah and, and asking possibly for... In, intervention for some kind of psak or some kind of injunction against doing this. So the Shevet Levi writes to him, this was in Tufshin Nun Bey's Parshish Mishpatim, so that would be 92. That, that, would, that would be 1992. He says, I got your letter, he says, you ask, are you allowed to copy from a Likut? Again, it's not original Torah. You're not stealing someone's original Torah. 
but someone wrote uh, a likut, uh, a beer of the halacha that was gathered on one particular mitzvah, bahar begigios, vahotzos, lots of work, lots of expense, and the sefer was widely accepted. He, he's going to acknowledge it was his own sefer he's talking about soon, I think, but the, he's not trying to hide that. But the sefer in Iskabel, want to say something, Simcha? The sefer was accepted, barov hadar, and now someone found everything, all the work was already done, everything was set up so nicely, and he copied, uh, he copied the primary sources into his own work, as if he did the work of, of compiling this encyclopedia. So again, he wasn't copying individual chedushim of, uh, of, 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 of the, the author of the anthology, but he was copying the, the work, the organization, the, the trouble he went to to gather the sources. He was just copying that, and he, he wrote his own say for piggybacking off the hard work of others, and uh, he also added some other things in. He says it wasn't just a, a knuckle for the first guy's sefer. He added some other stuff as well. But the Ikara sefer, the, the, primary, the, 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 the primary build of the sefer, was uh, all taken from other people. It happened to, it happened to Brian Pertinsky, he says, as Kasher Karakein, Lamalas, Tvotzeraso, with his sefer, Achashu, Vayakar, Otsar, Abris, Malay, Vagadush, Be'emes, Be'egias, Torah, Mechaber a certain author in Yerushalayim plagiarized, he said, his work. Is that allowed, Rabbi Perchinsky wanted to know, and as we'll see later in the tshuva, he, he wanted possibly an injunction against this other author as well. So, says Rav Ozner, Kvod Yedidi, my friend, he says, my honorable friend, Lahamed Das Altila, to actually do Din Torah, to, to paskin, paskin rigorously, Halacha Lamaisi, he says, Kasha Maod Bidarenu, very difficult in our generation, he says, the world is hefker, he says. We don't have enough authority, enough power, enough uh, capability to properly uh, regulate the, the, this area of, uh, of human endeavor, he says, of Chashem Mishpat in general. Particularly in this area of printing and uh, of printing and copying. Again, Protinsky's objections are kind of a mixture of copyright and plagiarism. Even work which is just organizing and collecting data, if there's something new and novel in, in, in the organization, that can be subject to copyright. If there's something, again, you can't copyright existing data. If you simply like measure the temperature for a year and publish a list of the temperature, you can't copyright that. That's just, those are just facts. But, but if you engage in some kind of organization, if you structure it, if you, I don't know all the rules, but sometimes even secondary works are subject to some form of copyright. And also, with plagiarism, he says, he says he... He, he, the way Rabbi Peretinsky said it, he said, he wrote them all, B'Shem Mekoros Rishon, Ki Asfan, without giving me credit. To, if he would have just said, you know, the following Sefer is based largely on the Sefer Abris, uh, at least he'd be attributing it to me, but he didn't do that. He just wrote a Sefer which was clearly, to me, he says, to me, the author, who was clearly based on my work, and he, and he passed it off as his own work. So he was objecting, possibly on both grounds, on a copyright grounds, on plagiarism grounds, he says, Says Ravosner, you want a real psak, he says, it, it's very difficult for, for Basin to give, for, for a rub, for a Basin to give an, an unequivocal authoritative ruling. He goes through various sources in the Sugi, we're not going to get into all the details, but he says, uh, he says, this, this is definitely wrong, he says, he says, he says, uh, Borer, he says, that the, he says it's clear that, you know, copying, he, he brings, there's a certain hetter, which is discussed by the postgame, a certain controversial hetter, there is a certain hetter that when it comes to Torah, you can't enforce copyright. That Torah, everyone has the right to learn Torah. If someone needs the Torah and can't get it without copying it from somebody else, 
you can't restrict Torah, Torah has to be available. So again, we're not going to get into the details of that, of that rule and how the post can understand it, but there is such an idea that, 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 that the Torah wants, the Torah, Hashem wants Torah to be available to anyone who truly wants it. Says Ravosner, but that only means if you personally want to know someone's Torah, you can copy it. But he says, but that means you, you, you can, you, for your own benefit or, to, or to, to make it available to people who otherwise can't have it, you can do that, he says. But a Talmud Chacham who's copying from another Talmud Chacham, that, that, that the original one was Mechadesh, the Mechadesh something, and, uh, and that's his Chalik in Torah. And they say, even Shemayim, they learned the Torah attributed to him, he says, and someone else says it on his, on his own name, that that's not the, the all this is, this Hatter was based on a Pasuk, I think in Mishle, it says, We don't, uh, we're not going to scorn a Ganav who steals, if he steals because he's hungry. Which is a, a Tosefta, I think, and then the Midrash is that that refers to someone who's hungry for Torah. We're not going to criticize him for stealing Torah. He just wants to learn Torah. He has to get the Torah however he can. So that's a discussion of what that means exactly, but to such a hetter. That's not plagiarizing, he says. That's if you want to get Torah, you, you, you can do it even in ways that otherwise might be problematic. But to pass it off on your own name, he says, plagiarism. Avon plili, vignevis das. That's a terrible sin, he says, a terrible crime. It's gnevis das. It's a form of fraud, he says. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a serious infraction. He says, He can't complain, he says, if someone else is going to do the independent work and he's going to therefore compete with you. If you spent a lot of time, you made yourself the major expert in, in, the, laws of, uh, in the laws of borrowing, the laws of lending, borrowing and lending money, and you wrote a classic work on the topic. And someone else comes along and studies the same topic and publishes a competing work, which now steals your thunder. Everyone's going to say, oh, you know, he's not the only one. Other scholars have done this too. That you can't complain. If he's not copying you, he says, if he did the work on his own, you can't complain that, that you want to have a monopoly on this area of Torah. That, that's not a claim, he says, because Torah Kedosha is a stay hefker. Torah Kedosha is available to anyone. Anyone who wants to learn can learn. The fact that you were there first and you, you, were, the, you were the single expert on the topic, you were the one everyone looked up to, you can't complain if someone else wants to publish a competing encyclopedia, a competing work on the subject. That's fine, he says, but not, but not to copy you and, to, and take credit for it. He says, that he can't do. He quotes this thing, he says, that, 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 that it's pashut, that, that, that you're, allowed to, you're allowed to compete in Torah, you're allowed to publish your own work. He says, he's actually puzzled because the, the, he quotes a fascinating controversy. He says, the Hagon Rabbi Zalman Margolius, Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolius, the, one of the greatest post of 200 years ago, the author of the Beis Ephraim and many other works. The, the, the Beis Ephraim wrote extensively on the laws of Trefus, the, the problems with animals that make them trefe. In particular, he wrote extensively on Trefus Araya, problems with the lungs. And he says, if you look in a certain shuv of the Beis Ephraim where he discusses the lungs, he says he was upset about another go, a contemporary, the Levushe Srud. He was upset that the Levush Yisrael was another one of the great Achronim who spent a lot of time on the practical aspects of Trefus Araya. Beis Ephraim was upset. He said, that, that's my topic. That, that, this is my area. You should leave this to me. You shouldn't be uh, setting yourself up as a competing authority on Trefus Araya. That's uh, very strange, he says, that the, you know, Tom Chachm has no right to object to that. If he's not copying you, the fact that he's setting himself up as a competing authority, that's absolutely not something you can object to, he says. Maybe he says maybe he was only objecting because he felt he was wrong, he says. He felt he was uh, not getting it right, but he didn't object to the fact that he was competing. Okay, you have to read the tshuva and see exactly what he was upset about. 
But he says that the, in general, he says to, to take credit for someone else's work, you certainly can't do, he says, even if it's just a question of, uh, again, a purely secondary work, you're just, you're just discovering obscure sheetas and publishing them, that's all you did. Still, he says, the second, this is back to the question of the Machnechaim, do you, do, you, do you have to acknowledge secondary sources? He says, yes, he says, you should, you really should, he says. Again, at least if it's a relatively obscure source that's not widely known, if you quote it by way of a secondary source, he says, Roy even if it's, uh, it's, again, even if it's not your whole safer, you didn't just copy the whole safe from somebody else, but you just benefited by, by finding some obscure sources in someone else's work, you should, it's appropriate to credit the person as well. That's my opinion, he says. So again, yes, I fundamentally agree with you that if you, if you produced a great work on Mila, and it took a lot of effort, and, and, and what you did was not immediately obvious to, 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 any, to any, any, any student of the topic, he says. He says, yes, the other person really should be crediting you. A person should not do this. A person, even if it's a secondary work, he says, a person should not just knock off your work and publish it on his own name and take credit for it. Again, he says, Halacha Lamaisa, you want a psak? He says, Ivra, Lahotzi, Mishpat, Al Sfarov, Shemachaber, you want me to, to issue a, a ruling, an injunction against the svarim of your competitor, he says, you know, the, the one who plagiarized from you. A&B, I can't do that, he says. Again, I certainly can't do that without hearing the other person's side of the story. So I certainly can't do that just based on a one-sided claim. But Bechlal, he says, I can't do that. He says, my time is very limited. I don't have the time, he says, to, to investigate the matter. Very optimistically, he says, I hope, I'm sure you can work this out between the two of you in, uh, in an upright and, uh, and uh, generous way, he says. And happy are you, Ashrav Shazachal Harbas Sefer good for you that you published such uh, an excellent Sefer. And he gives him a bracha. So the bottom line is, again, right, he, he recommends even secondary sources you should acknowledge, you should attribute, if, the, if what you got from them is something that's relatively obscure, like the distinction I made before, he seems to concede. If it's just an obvious thing that you, you would have found sooner or later anyway, the fact that you found it first and directly from a secondary source is not a big deal. But if it's something obscure, he says, that are not, not well-known and you discovered it from a primary source, you should publish that. And certainly it's wrong if someone devoted a lot of effort and to, to producing something, something, uh, something new. Certainly plagiarism applies. And even the organization, he sounds. If, 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 if you, if you, it sounds like he's saying even the work of organizing and arranging the the, the, the sugya in a way that's useful and helpful. Even that, he says, you really shouldn't plagiarize. But Lamaisa, he says, the, he's not going to do anything about it. He, he can't. He can't get involved. And he hopes you can work it out.